0: Uh, Kate, let me welcome you as well. My name's Johnny, pastor here at Redeemer. Um, Lovely to meet you, lovely to say hello. Uh, If I'm not seeing you, then uh, hopefully afterwards I'll get a chance to say hello properly. We're still in Luke's Gospel, um, and uh, I'm going to pray, ask that the Lord will help us. Heavenly Father, we think about these words, they are incredibly challenging, and yet wonderfully what we're going to see is they come from your very heart. This is the kind of God that you are. We pray, therefore, that we would be blown away afresh by these words. But not only would we understand them, we would live them out. I pray it's in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, we struggle, don't we? I think with the, the, the long view, trying to think and plan uh, far ahead. We we much prefer things that we're doing to have immediate results, don't we? Think about that in politics. The government's usually working on a kind of an election cycle. Every four or five years, they need to see results so that they can get voted back in. Or with churches, churches are good on the short to medium, aren't they? We're going to plant a new church every three or four years. We're going to grow to this size in the next four or five years or whatever. You know, kind of a short term three or four years. Or even personally, new year, new diet, uh, I'm not going to no, show of hands who's doing a that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? Um, but you know, like you, you start your diet and you think, right, I want, I want to lose a stone by a week. And if I've not, then I'm going to chuck that diet away and start something else. You know, we, we struggle to, to kind of think longer term. And I, I was struck, therefore, by um, this brilliant thing on a church website. And they talked about their vision. And they had a 250-year vision. It's brilliant, isn't it? They understood that if you're going to lay foundations, if you're going to change a culture, if you're going to see something grow that will last and last and last, it will take time. And you may not see the results of what you're doing in the short term, but if you have a long-term view, trusting that the Lord is sovereign in all those things, then you can think 250 years down the line. And what I think we have here in in Luke's Gospel is Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. He thought about this as something that began... Uh, The beginnings of it last week. He very much has a long-term view. People hearing it for the first time are excited. This is going to change the world. Well, yes, it will. But it's going to take hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And even then, it's going to be a couple of steps forward and a couple of steps back. Jesus is thinking long-term. And what we're going to see this morning as we want to embrace his teaching, we just want to have the right expectations. That if we can embrace the things that Jesus is teaching, it may still take a very long time for it to have the wonderful impact we would love it to have on the wider world. So what is it that Jesus is teaching his people as they join his kingdom? Well, first it's this, that love in a way that is exceptional. Love in a way that is exceptional. So Jesus laid out the kind of people who belong to his kingdom. We saw that last week. They are the spiritually desperate They are the spiritually poor and hungry, the ones who weep over who they are, what they've become before the Lord. And now Jesus teaches his disciples this. Now that you've joined, this is how you live in my kingdom. Look how he starts. But to you who are listening, I say, to you who are listening, interesting way of starting isn't it because Jesus knows his audience well he knows that it's perfectly possible for people to be standing around him we saw there are crowds and crowds uh, hearing the words that come out of his mouth but they are not actually listening it's like a parent talking to their children or a teacher talking to their class you you can tell them something this is really important we're going to turn on the Bunsen burners Here's, here's some just basic safety do not put your face in the flame. And the words leave your mouth, and they come sound waves, and the sound waves hit the ears of the children in the classroom, and through some cleverness, they hit the brain, and they hear. But then five minutes later, you hear a child screaming, and they've lost their eyebrows. Yes, they heard, but they weren't listening. And Jesus is careful, because as he forms his kingdom, as he calls people to follow him, he doesn't want followers who are half-hearted who only hear the bits that they like. No, he wants followers who listen to everything. He looks at the crowd around and says, are you listening? And as I look out across the room, it's the same question, isn't it? Are you listening? You may have been coming to Redeemer for, it's almost a five-year anniversary. You may have been coming here for the full five years. You might have been coming to church for ages, but that question's still relevant, isn't it? Are you actually listening to Jesus? Do you only hear the bits that fit with your ideology and your preferences? Do do the words of Christ bounce off of you? Nothing ever penetrates. Your life never changes. His words never lead to confession of sin, to repentance, or to new action. To you who are listening, Jesus says, Are you one of those people? Are you listening? And then comes the bombshell. To you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Love your enemies. I said it's a bombshell. But actually, loving your enemies, it's not all that shocking, is it? It doesn't sound especially exceptional. And I think that's because we're 2,000 years down the line from when Jesus first said these words. In the first century, when Jesus planted this seed, this teaching, it would have been shocking. But the seed wonderfully took hold. People saw the goodness, the truth, and the beauty of Jesus and his teaching. They repented and believed and followed him. And this idea, love your enemies, began to permeate whole cultures whole societies, whole empires. Not that everyone obeyed it, but most appreciated it. You see, love your enemies, it seems obvious to us in a way that it wouldn't have seemed obvious when Jesus first preached it 2,000 years ago. I heard the beginnings of a debate between The historian Tom Holland, who's sympathetic to Christianity, and the humanist, the atheist A.C. Grayling, who's committed to those things. And at one point, A.C. Grayling says to Tom Holland, can you name one thing that Christianity has uniquely contributed to Western society? And then for about 10 minutes, Tom Holland is rattling things off. And across the whole debate, he makes this point. The things we assume in Western culture, the things we presume to be true, human dignity, compassion, equality, they are Christian ideals. You see, we're not as shocked by what Jesus says here because the teaching has so shaped the world that we live in. But having said that, love your enemies... Actually, it's still quite shocking, isn't it? Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Sure, it's familiar, but it's still shocking. Put it positively, treat your enemies as you would treat your friends. It's as if Jesus is saying that there are two kinds of love. There is natural love, the love you have for family or for friends. That kind of love comes instinctively. Love your friends. Do good to those who love you. Bless those who bless you. Pray for those who treat you well. That's natural love. There's nothing wrong with that. We need natural love, and nearly every human being has it. Even the worst kind of people. That's what Jesus says. Verse 32, if you love those who love you, natural love, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. The mafia love their own. The mafia do good to their own. Natural love is one thing. But Jesus is talking about something different here, a supernatural kind of love, an exceptional kind of love, when you treat your enemies as if they were your friends. Love your enemies. So who does Jesus mean by enemy? Well, skim through verses 27 to 28 and you can see it's those who hate you. It's those who curse you, who wish your demise and downfall. It's those who mistreat you. But I want to narrow it down a little bit because I think in the context It is those who oppress, mistreat, and hate someone because they follow Christ. Do you remember last week? Do you remember what Jesus warned his followers? If you're going to join my kingdom, you need to to be ready for this. Chapter 6, verse 22, people will hate you. Why? They will exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. You see, who is the enemy that Jesus specifically has in mind here? First and foremost, it is those who dislike us because of the Son of Man, because we follow Christ. Love those enemies. Love them if they harm you and your reputation. Love them if they take away your freedom. Love them if they take away your family. Love them if they take away your life. As followers of Christ, this is what Jesus wants from us. This is what he commands us to do. He's just starting off his kingdom. Come on in. And the first thing he says, love your enemies. It's a non-negotiable. There was a bishop um, living in occupied France in 1944. He spoke against the persecution of Jews in France and the deportation of, of French men to kind of, Nazi slave labour camps, and in the end he was arrested by the Gestapo and sent to a detention camp. And while he was there, some of the prisoners asked the bishop to preach to them, and he preached on forgiveness. He said that they should pray for their captors. Some, some of the inmates weren't too happy with this. But the bishop replied, My friends, I cannot proclaim anything except what the Lord said. Love your Enemies. No more, no less. Jesus commands exceptional love. It is a non-negotiable. Nothing more, nothing less. We must love our enemies. And and it's not just kind of sentimental love. It's not just words. No, he really means you must do good to those who hate you. Have a look at verse 29. He gives three illustrations. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Now again, I think the context is important. Jesus is talking about those who are holding on to Jesus. His teaching and holding out Jesus and his teaching. As in, why do these people hate you? Well, hopefully, it's not because you're irritating and annoying, but because you believe what Jesus teaches and you want others to believe it as well. So, if someone slaps you or, or assaults you because you believe that Jesus is Lord, first, you don't hit back, but more, don't stop speaking about Jesus. Don't give up on his teachings. Instead, you're willing to be slapped again. You see? If someone takes your coat and whatever belongs to you because your allegiance is first and foremost to Christ, well, first, you're not consumed by personal sense of injustice and anger and desperately, therefore, seeking revenge. But second, don't stop holding on to Jesus. Be willing for them to take all that you have. We love our enemies, and when they hate us, we love them some more. And when they harm us, we love them some more. And when they curse us, we love them some more. In his famous I Have a Dream address, Martin Luther King talked about this kind of response. I think the words will be on the screen. He says, To our most bitter opponents, we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. Throw us in jail, and we shall still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children, and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. Love your enemy. And if they hate you, love them some more, Jesus says. If they take away your cloak, love them some more. Give them whatever else they want to take. If they take away your freedom, your family, your home, love them some more. Love your enemy. Now here's the thing for us, at the moment, wonderfully, we don't really experience this level of pushback, do we? But we can definitely practice loving like this, because if we're to love our enemies in this way, if we're to do good to those who hate us, how much more should we love those who just annoy us, those who mildly dislike us? Those who deliberately wind us up or just cause us low-level grief. Again, this is it's part of the long view, isn't it? Because it takes time and it takes energy and it takes intention to cultivate this kind of love towards people who treat you badly. It doesn't just happen overnight. So let's get practising. Practising. Practice loving your enemies by loving those, doing good to those, praying for those who at times make life hard. And wonderfully, there are plenty of people, aren't there, that you can practice this on. You you can practice on your husband or your wife or your children. You can practice on your pastor, because there will be times when I annoy you. You can practice on your colleagues and your housemates. Because if I cannot pray for my housemate when they intensely annoy me, what hope have I got Praying for the person who actually hates me because I follow Christ. If I cannot do good to my boss, even though they make work and life miserable, what hope have I got to doing good to someone who wants me dead because I follow Christ? Practice loving your enemies on those who aren't quite your enemies. So Jesus says to his new followers, you must love and you must love exceptionally. You must love those who hate you. Now, Why is this so important to Jesus? Why start here with his teaching on the kingdom? Because if we're going to be in the kingdom, we must love like the God of the kingdom. Verse 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Our Heavenly Father loves like this. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, verse 35. You see, therefore, at the heart of this kingdom, more than that, at the heart of the universe, is a heart that loves the ungrateful and the wicked. A heart that is merciful. A God who does good to those who hate him, who blesses those who curse him. A God who loved us, even when we hated him and were wicked before him. He's a God who sends the sun on the wicked and the unrighteous. He's a God who causes it to rain on the hard-hearted and the indifferent. He's a God who breathes, gives breath and blessing and life to all those who rage against him. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. If we are to be part of the kingdom, we must love like the God of the kingdom. And that is how Jesus loved himself, isn't it? He loved his enemies. He did good to those who hated him. He blessed those who cursed him and prayed for those, especially even on the cross, who mistreated him. He turned his cheek. As they beat him, Jesus never asked them to stop. He never gave in to their demands to take back his claims to kingship and divinity. He showed them and gave them his other cheek. And when they took his garments and left him with nothing, he didn't give up, he didn't stop. He gave them everything, including his life. Dying for the very people who were abusing him, that they might be forgiven. For us and for our salvation, Jesus loved his enemies. And so if we're going to follow Jesus and be part of his kingdom, then we must love with an exceptional love. Our Father in heaven loves his enemies. Our Savior and King loves his enemies. So must we. Love that is exceptional. Secondly, and more briefly, love that is beneficial. So, In some ways, we've just thought about the main reason why we should do this, love our enemies, because it reflects the God who is the God of the kingdom. But as we love like this, we do so because it's, it's beneficial. And first, it's beneficial for our enemy. I don't actually think this is prominent in Jesus' thought right here, but there really is something, isn't there, about winning people to the kingdom by the way that we love them and treat them. When they see the transforming power of Christ in our hearts, that because of Jesus we can even love those who persecute, our hope and prayer is that their hearts would melt and that they too would recognise their spiritual poverty and put their hope in Jesus. As Jesus says in a similar part in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Exceptional love draws others to Jesus, even those who are hostile. Back in that famous speech by Martin Luther King, he went on to say to his enemies, but be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day, we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process. And our victory will be a double victory. Brothers and sisters, may that be us. May we have a Christ-empowered, Christ-enabled capacity to love our enemies and go on loving them until we wear them down. Until we see a double victory the end of persecution, and the conversion of our enemies. Again, it's the long view, isn't it? It could take many Christians, many generations, before we wear down those who are opposed to Christ. But we love in order to win. Exceptional love is beneficial to our enemies, but this is where I think Jesus actually lands. Exceptional love is beneficial to us. Listen to verse 32. <clears throat> if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Verse 33. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Verse 34. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Three times. What credit is it to you? What benefit does it do you? Not, not the unbeliever. Not the cause of the kingdom even, but you, my disciple. What benefit does it do to you if you only love with a natural love? You see, when we love with an exceptional love, it is beneficial to us, the disciple. Jesus says it again in verse 35, Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back, then your reward will be great. When we love our enemies, we experience a reward. Now, this this reward—it's not salvation. It can't be. Jesus has already shown us the way into His kingdom. It is for the spiritually desperate, that the spiritually poor and starving and weeping—those who know they've got no grounds for God to accept or love them. This this reward isn't about salvation. It's partly about the future, the, the glory that is to come, eternal life in a world put right, where there will be comfort and joy and peace. If our hearts know that that's what's coming, well, that helps us to, to love our enemies. But it's something else as well. Listen to the rest of verse 35. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. The main part of this reward is this assurance that you truly are a son or daughter of the Most High God. Because when we love like God loves, when by the Holy Spirit's strength we are kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, then we are assured of our place in God's family. If I love like God, I am rewarded with the joy of knowing that I truly am a child of God. That is the precious reward that comes to us, that assurance. And wonderfully, the more convinced I am that I am a true son or daughter of God Most High, then the more I can love my enemy. Because if I belong to this God, the Most High God, then ultimately I cannot lose. If I belong to this God, then people may hate, mistreat and curse. People may take and take and take, but I cannot lose. The Most High God. He is the one enthroned above the heavens and the earth. The one who holds all of time and space in his hands. The one who providentially and sovereignly rules over all things. He is my Father in heaven. Can't lose which enables me to come before any enemy and love them and do good to them and bless them and pray for them, and even to do so with joy. My salvation is secure. My Father is in heaven. I can't lose. I was reading a, a blog post about New Year resolutions this week, and particularly for the church, and one was about how to stand firm, how to respond when people turn against you because you're a Christian. The, uh, the writer said this, I think it'll be on the screen. If it is the Lord's will that we go down, people turn against us, if it is the Lord's will that we go down, the very best way to go down is to go down singing. Laughter is warfare. Singing psalms is warfare. Sabbath feasting in the presence of your enemies is warfare. Worship is warfare. How, how can you laugh and sing and worship and feast before your enemies? He goes on, if you understand that God is sovereign over this entire mess, exhaustively sovereign, then as G.K. Chesterton said, we can fight in a losing battle and then not lose. If we are assured that we are children of God Most High, when we love our enemies, yes, we are in a losing battle, we will lose our reputation our freedom, our friendships, our property, and much, much more perhaps. But in the end, we cannot lose. The exhaustively sovereign Most High God is my Father in heaven. We're in a losing battle that we can't lose. Whatever we lose now because of Jesus and the gospel, we will receive back infinitely more when we see Jesus face to face in glory. To be assured, here is the reward, to be assured that you truly are a son or daughter of God Most High. And when you are convinced of that, you will find the resources to love your enemy and love them again and love them again because you cannot lose. See, we need to take the long view with this. If we love with an exceptional love that Jesus is talking about, if we teach our children to love with an exceptional love, that then once again, maybe, that the kingdom of Christ will take hold in this land in a way that in years past it has. As people are transformed from within, it may take years and it may take generations, then others will be drawn in as well. Love with an exceptional love. Love your enemies. Remember to quiet and then I'm going to pray. But to you who are listening, I say, Heavenly Father, we've all heard sound has hit our eardrums, but we pray that your spirit would make us listeners to what we've heard this morning, to what we are going to hear from Jesus in the coming weeks, that we would not be satisfied to simply understand, but that we would cry out to you that your spirit would conform our hearts to become these kinds of people, people who love their enemies. People who do good to those who hate them. People who bless those who curse them. People who pray for those who mistreat them. Please would you do that work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.